Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. So today, last week we did the vision for the year, which is I gave my life away and now I live. But that is encompassed by the whole vision of the church. So every year, we have a vision of the church that never changes, but we have a vision for the year, which is is sort of our our way of working out that vision. So last week we looked at that. This week we're going to look at the vision of our church, which is bringing heaven to earth. But what I believe that uh, God wants to do is to speak to each one of us individually. And just as on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came down and it says that all the, the believers went out and they were speaking in different tongues, different languages. And there were people from lots of different countries there and they heard the gospel spoken in their own language. I believe God t- still does that and he speaks it in a language that you receive in your heart and your mind. So even though this is one message for all, I really believe God's going to speak to you individually. Whether you're here for the first time, whether you're still discovering, whether you even believe in Jesus, God still can speak to you. And if you've known him for a long time, God still can speak to you. So let's prepare ourselves for that. So let's take a moment, just close your eyes, just be still. We want to thank you, Father, that you are present with us and not to take that lightly to be thankful that you are for us and not against us, that you love us with a love that is beyond our imagination, that you are the God who created the heavens and the earth, and yet you look at us and you care. So, Father, I pray for each one of us today that we would hear you speaking personally to us and that we would all hear you speaking as a body to ourselves as well, Lord, as a body of Christ, and may we receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. This statement about bringing heaven to earth is actually taken from the Lord's Prayer. And so many of you, most of you, I guess, would know the Lord's Prayer. Many of us grow up praying that prayer in some context. And the start of it says this in Matthew 6, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you can become very used to that prayer. Uh, But what you find in there is uh, the language of kingdom. And from that language of kingdom, you get um, the start to bring in the image of kings and kingdoms and realms and dynasties and and all the sort of thing that you might just take for granted. But there's something powerful in there. So I want you to think about that prayer. When you pray that prayer, when you hear that prayer prayed, particularly when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What goes on in your heart and mind when you hear that prayer? So you may be aware of it, you may not be. So I just want to give you a moment to reflect on that. Here's some of the things that you could, that could go on in your heart and mind when you hear your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So some people without realising it will have very much a case or idea like, well, I guess I'm just praying for God's will to be done and so that's it. And sometimes you can be like a, if you see like an old-fashioned kingdom where you have the king and you have the peasants or the serfs working in the fields, sometimes you can see yourself as the peasant farmer you're just digging away, doing what you have to do day in and day out, and there's a king. And the king will just do whatever he wants. And if he's a good king, you think, oh, that's good. He'll do whatever he wants and I'll be okay. So I'll just keep digging. Or if he's a bad king, he'll just do everything he wants and I'll just keep digging and keep a very low profile. That's sometimes how people see that when they pray that prayer. I believe there's a totally different way that God wants us to see this when we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. So think about how you think You may not think one of those. You might think something. I want to explore how we see that when we pray that prayer because that has a lot to do with the vision of our church of bringing heaven to earth. So to explore this a bit further, I want to go 
right back to the beginning, literally, to the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 1, and we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Just have to remember that. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. Three things there, formless, empty and darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now just remember when God says, let there be light and there is light. And even though it says God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness night. Remember that it's not yet in the days of creation that God creates sun and moon, stars, etc. So this light and this darkness, even the day and the night that he's calling, is something different. It's a spiritual light and darkness. And you'll see it right through the scriptures. If you start looking for that when you're reading your Bible, you'll see day and night, people of the day and people of the night. It's all, th- it's all through the scriptures. So this is the light and the life and the love and the power of God that's coming into this situation. And God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And so you have this story of creation. Now, in this story, the words formless and empty come from the Hebrew words tobu, tohu, wabahu, which means formless and empty or barren and uninhabited. So God comes with this barren, uninhabited, formless material, basically, to work with. And what he does is he begins to create all sorts of beautiful things, plants, animals, trees, fish, and everything in the soil, if you consider the earth, everything that has been invented since then has come from, somehow has come from the earth. We have never invented anything that didn't have some element there waiting for it. We discover things like um, we have things made of gold, but we had to find it first in the earth. Whatever we have made has come from everything that you can see made around here. We did not suddenly bring it out of nothing. It's all there. This is an amazing thing. God has created this world and everything is there for us to flourish. Everything is there for us to use it to turn into something, to potentially turn it into something beautiful, which is what we are created to do. And then it says that God rested on the seventh day. And sometimes when we hear that word rest, it's like, well, he created everything and then he was exhausted. But it doesn't actually mean that he was exhausted. It means that sort of rest that you have. When you've done something that you're really satisfied with, so that rest is is like satisfaction or fulfillment. So every one of you will have something here that you do and when you've completed it, you will go, you could go all out day and night and you may be physically exhausted but you don't think about the physical exhaustion. You think about the satisfaction when you finish. Can you think of your thing? And sometimes when someone else has their thing, like for instance Lisa Burgess who's part of our church, she loves gardening. And I don't. Like I rang her one day and her husband, Russell, answered the phone. He said, I'll just go and find her. It took a while. If you've ever been to a welcome lunch at their place at Ties Hill, their welcome lunch is like someone transported a piece of the Dane tree and put it in Ties Hill. And she came in and I said, how was your day, Lisa? And she said, wonderful. I've spent the entire day pruning and weeding. Oh, my goodness. Does not sound like a fun day to me. And it sounds exhausting. When I see a weed, I feel exhausted, even before I pull it out. But you will have your thing. But, you know, when we put on our Christmas production at the end of the year, I can do that day and night and not feel exhausted. And when it's done, one of the favourite things to me is sitting in the theatre, just sitting there in the middle of people and seeing people respond and seeing people find Jesus eventually through that and just sit there and there's a sense of 
everyone pulled it together and it worked. So you will all have your thing and all our things will be a little bit different because you're all created in the image of God, which means everyone is creative. You see, sometimes we divide ourselves up into the creatives and the non-creatives. If I say, who are the creatives? Some of you will raise your hand and others will look at you and think dreamy, late, don't know what you're talking about because you are creative. And you'll look at the others and you'll say, organised, black and white, boring. And, you know, we put people into these different groups. But the fact is you're all creating the image of God. And um, you might say someone who's an artist is a creative and someone who's an accountant isn't creative, but an accountant is just as creative as an artist because we're all given an ability to dream and create. And each one of us has a little piece of what God is like. Because God is creating all these things and we, we're created in his image. So God creates all this and it's beautiful and he's satisfied with it. And what John Mark Homer says about this in his book Garden City, he says, looking at the story of the creation in Genesis, in between the opening line and the closing paragraph, the narrative is filled with metaphor after metaphor for who God is and what God is like. God is an artist, a designer, a creative. He's an engineer, a builder, an ecologist, a zoologist, an expert in horticulture, a musician, a poet, a king, a shepherd, but above all, he's a worker and a vigorous one at that. And God created us all to actually create us to work in some way, to work, to be creative, whether you're paid for it or not, he's created us to be workers who take this this world and, as he said in the beginning of creation, be fruitful and multiply. And the multiply is... Well, the Waymans have been multiplying and the families are growing. But fruitful is actually to take this world and to fill it with the goodness of God. That's what we're called to do. We're actually created to be like this. And so what God says is in Genesis 1.26, so he's got the world, it's all created. And then he says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule Now, here's an interesting thing. If you ever wonder why you're created, here's a hint. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, let's create mankind in our image so that they may rule over all this beautiful creation. Now, immediately when some people hear that, they think of it in a bad way. What we're created to rule with. Yes, we are. It's a responsible thing. So I just want to get this sorted out before we move on any further. So the word for image there is the Hebrew word selim, which means idol, but not idol in that we worship that idol. But an idol is actually something that's created to be a visible representation of something that is invisible. So you are created as a visible representation of the invisible God. So when God says, let us make mankind in our own image, he dreamt you and created you to be a visible representation of him in the world. Then if you look at it a little bit further, it's not just Selim as in image, but Selim Elohim, which means not just any image, but the image of a king. So you are created to be the image of God, but not just the serf in the, in the, or the peasant working in the field. You're created to be a son or a daughter of the living God. So if you go back to um, the Lord's Prayer where it says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
we start to see what this is actually saying because that word rule, when it says may they, let, them, let us make mankind in our own image and they, so that they may rule, that word rule comes from the Hebrew word radar, which means to reign or to have dominion. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, he's teaching us to become the people that we're always created to be. So rather than being the peasant working in the field, when you pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what you are saying is I am a son or daughter of the living God and I am allowed through Jesus to walk boldly into your presence and to say your kingdom come and your will be done. And what is it? It's like coming to the, to, to the King of kings and Lord of lords and saying what is your will? How do I bring your kingdom into this world? Because he's the only one who understands it. And we are his willing children. We are his willing servants, but not just the ones who have a K-Sarah-Sarah attitude. We are called the sons and the daughters. We're called co-heirs with Christ. So we have the, the ability and the right through Jesus to come boldly into his presence and to say to him, your kingdom come and your will be done, not just in a what do you want to do, but what can I do to see the working out of your kingdom into the world? That's what I'm called to do. And when God says at the beginning that you were made to rule or to reign, that's what he's talking about. This is your purpose. And when people have lost their way, it's because they've lost their purpose and losing their purpose comes with losing your identity, not understanding who you are or why you're actually created or in whose image you were created. And when people are restored to who they belong to, why they were created, then people start to reconnect with their identity and with God and start to work that out in the world. In Garden City by John Mark Comer, which I encourage you all to read, we discover a little bit more of what happens. So he says this, we human beings are a mixed bag. We have a great capacity, more than we know, to rule in a way that is life-giving for the people around us and the place we call home, or to rule in such a way that we exploit the earth itself and rob people of an environment where they can thrive. So what happened? We were given this, created in God's image, and Adam and Eve had this beautiful relationship where they walked and talked with God. They heard him. They knew what to do. And then the, the devil came in the form of a serpent and spoke to them and convinced them somehow that God was, was not telling them the truth. And so they subjected themselves to him rather than God. And in doing that, from that one sin, what passed down from generation to generation to generation was um, sin or death starting to rule the world. And you may think, well, I'm not sure that I believe that. Well, that's because you are so full of this world around us that we can't see how sin and death actually rule and reign in this world. We still have the capacity to rule and to reign. But as John Mark says, some of us do it really well and some of us do it really poorly and we have destroyed people. When you hear that, you can think maybe of world leaders, but all of us have an opportunity to rule and reign in workplaces, in families, in neighbourhoods, in sporting teams, wherever we may be. And sometimes we use our authority badly and sometimes we hurt people and sometimes we destroy people. Because when we have this authority to rule and reign separated from the love of God, we cannot do it by ourselves and we bring destruction into the world. So sin entered the world and then the story goes on. If you read through the scriptures, sometimes people wonder why the Old Testament is full of such dreadful stories. And the reason it's full of such dreadful stories is the story of humankind trying so hard to rule and to reign and getting it dreadfully wrong. And that's the story of mankind until Jesus comes into the world. And then we read this in Romans 5.17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, 
How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See how that word reign is coming back again? There is kingdom language all the way through. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It's in Genesis. It's right through the Scriptures. And here it is again. So what it's saying is this. Death, through the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned. It's not just death came in. Death started to reign. It started to have the rule. And by death, death is perceived in so many ways. So there is death in that our bodies die, but there is eternal death which none of us want. So through Jesus, we have everlasting life. But there is death in this world. So we're talking about bringing heaven to earth. But we'll also be aware of how much there is hell on earth in so many situations in the world. And just as God brings light into darkness, we are called to bring the light of God. We're called to bring the light of his heavenly kingdom into this world. And that is reigning in the world more than we can understand. You see it in broken relationships, in heartache, in hope lost, in financial issues, in job problems and all the things that go on the world, political issues, war, sickness, disease, viruses, all the things that go around the world. Death is having power over people. And we are called to have, we're called to make a massive difference in this world. So being a follower of Jesus is not just about being nice. It's actually about through Jesus, regaining who we were meant to be, to be sons and daughters or kings and queens, if you like, in his kingdom, who don't just sit in a field tilling the soil but start to rise up in dignity and realise that I can walk into his presence and I can say to him, your kingdom come and your will be done. What do you want me to do? This means that, firstly, we come humbly with this. It says in, um, in, back to the um, Romans 5 passage, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? To reign in life, you have to receive these things. They are a free gift. Firstly, grace. You can only receive grace when you have an awareness of how much you need it. So the more you're aware of the sin in your own life, the more you receive grace. Now, it's not a popular thing to talk about the sin in our own life because most of us like to pretend that we don't have it. But last week I was talking about building up this fake image and this fake image is really to protect anyone from seeing that we have sin in our own life. We like to justify ourselves. We like to prove that we're right all the time. We hate to be wrong. We hate to know anyone to know that we're wrong and we like to remind people that others are wrong because it kind of deflects from us and points at someone else. But once you wake up one day and you have the courage to say, There's so much about me that is really rotten to the core. And you bring that to the Lord, you receive grace. And when you receive grace, not only does he pardon you, he washes it away as if it never existed. That's the most amazing thing. And then he gives you his righteousness, not your righteousness that you've been fighting so hard for all the time, building up this fake image, his righteousness. And his righteousness is the righteousness of Christ, which is perfect. This is why we find it so hard to grasp what following Jesus is all about because you receive his righteousness, which means you stand before him, as it says in Colossians 1, as holy and blameless without a single fault. That's how you stand before him. The more you are aware of your failings, the more you will fall to your knees when you realise what his gift of righteousness is. If you're taking grace and and his gift of righteousness as like, yeah, that's nice, piece of salt sort of thing, you haven't realised what that gift actually means. Firstly, you haven't had an awareness of who you really are. And secondly, you haven't had an awareness of the price he had to pay to give you his righteousness. When you get it, you have a sense of humility before him. 
when you get it, when you have an understanding of your own failings, you are, have a greater sense of love when you see other people's failings. It's an incredible gift of grace and righteousness. And it says those who receive it, those who receive it then begin to reign in life. Until you receive it, you can't reign in life. But that word reign comes back in. So you either have death reigning over you or you rise up to reign in life. And reigning in life means this. Firstly, it means reigning over yourself. Um, Josh was talking to us this morning in the 1030 service about something that I can send out to you all. He's a suggested plan for Lent, which starts on Wednesday, about practising reigning over yourself in life. And he's got all these things that you can give up for Lent. Uh, Everything you can imagine, including hot showers, cold showers for 40 days. (laughs) And uh, to practise, because you don't have to do this forever, and it's not to win rewards, but there's something about fasting, for instance, that practices you gaining control of your spirit through the Holy Spirit over everything else that you think, I really want this now. I want to have this now. I want to do this now because that's what we're like. It's actually getting self-control, learning to reign in life because once you learn how to do that, you're much stronger in everything else that you do. But then reigning in life means this. You don't see yourself as a victim of life. You see yourself as a king or queen in God's kingdom. So you have him as king of kings and lord of lords. And then you realise that you have been created in his image to represent him on earth. And you say to him, firstly, what are you doing? Because Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what I hear the Father saying. And he's asking us to be the same. So we spend time in prayer and we say to God, what are you doing in my life and in my world? And you'll start to see there's people that he's put in your life who actually need some grace and encouragement and love. And He may have the words for you and he may have the actions for you to do. You have to spend time listening to him. A lot of us just rush through life, throw up prayers to God, asking him to do this and this and this. And he's asking us to be dignified human beings who take this gift that he's giving us with humility and with honour and to come into his throne room and spend time with him and ask him, "What, what is our calling? What's my calling today? Because you live in homes, you live with other people or with your families or with people that you share a house with, you work with people or study with people and you bump into people in a lot of different places that you go and you are a representative of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you are a visible image in what you do and what you say to others of him. You represent him and you are bringing his kingdom into the world. And only he knows how to do some of the things that you are called to do. You will come to people who have broken hearts and broken lives and you are called to somehow bring his kingdom into those realms to see restoration and healing. But it doesn't necessarily have to come through you teaching people. It comes through you being there with people and his Holy Spirit will somehow find a way of bringing healing. You just have to listen to what God is saying. And as you go through the journey... God will show you what to do if you spend plenty of time listening to him. It's like this. I am not very good at IT, but I have one son who was really good at IT. And so sometimes I will call him and I'll say, I can't get my computer to do such and such. And he will say, right, this is what you need to do. And I listen really closely and I follow the instructions and it works. But other times, and this has happened many times, I say, no, I need you to come because I just can't work it out. And honestly, as he walks into the room, the problem goes away. Before he even looks at the computer, he says, it's just my presence. 
and uh, or he'll pick it up and he'll go, there's no problem here. I said, honestly, it's done it 50 times. He says, well, it's just my presence. So I, some, I believe it's like that with God, you know, that sometimes he will give you instructions and you've got to follow step by step by step and sometimes you just pray and it's just his presence and everything changes. But I can't tell you which way it's going to be. You just have to spend time walking with him and listening to him and calling out to him and he will do it. So that's what you are to do individually. You've got different gifts and different talents. You go to work. Don't separate your work from your spiritual life. Whatever you are good at in work is part of you bringing heaven to earth, you dreaming and you flourishing. And it will be through the job that you have and the people that you encounter. But then it comes to the church. So what is the purpose of the church? You see, I was researching this a couple of weeks ago, just seeing what different writers have written about what are the what is the purpose of the church. And one person said, well, the purpose of the church is written in the book of Acts. It's for um, prayer and teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread. And I read that and I thought, that's not the purpose of the church. That is the means by which the church fulfills its purpose. The goal of the church is not to get together for prayer and teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread. We do this as a means of being the church. You see how there's a difference? And if you make the means the goal, you'll get stuck really, really quickly. And I think churches do that a lot. You make the means the goal. And when the means become the goal, you feel like you fulfilled the call on your life by listening to some good teaching and then going home. But that's actually not the goal. It's to build you up to be a king or a queen, a daughter or a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to do what you're actually called to do. So those things are a means. And then when you look in Ephesians chapter 2, you start to get a picture of what the church is meant to be. So it says, then you are no longer strangers and aliens. This was talking about Jews and Greeks, but you can translate it to all of us. If we went round and met each other, at one point, would have been strangers and aliens, and some of us would have been more strangers and aliens to other than others, particularly because your backgrounds are so different, and you could sit and talk to people and think, we don't connect on anything. But you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. So we all sit here as fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So here we start to get a picture of the church. You and I, with your gifts, with your talents, with your creative outlets, whatever it is that you are called to do, become different pieces of this structure. We're being joined together and we're becoming a holy temple and in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So it's saying that the church is a group of people who are very, very different, but we come together with all the different capabilities that we have and the love for the Lord and the humility of heart towards him, and we become this building not made of stones but made of people where God dwells by his spirit. And here we are today, a building where God dwells by his spirit, and collectively we are able to do extraordinary things in bringing heaven to earth as we partner together, as we serve together, as we love together, as we dream together. This is what we're called to do. And then in 1 Peter, we read this, but you are not like that. And you can go and read 1 Peter 2 to find out what that is. For you are a chosen people. So remember this, sometimes we think we found God, but he chose you and he called you. You are royal priests. And see, the language of royalty is coming back in this again. A holy nation, God's very own possession, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God because he, for he called you out of the darkness 
right back in Genesis, the darkness and light, you've been called out of the darkness, you've been called into his marvellous light, and you are called to show others the goodness of God. That's why we have the vision of our church of bringing heaven to earth. And every person has a part to play. You cannot disqualify yourself from that. Don't say I'm not gifted because you are. You may not know what it is, but you are. Don't say I'm not clever enough or whatever. Don't disqualify yourself because you are created in the royal image of God. What you need to say is, Lord, show me who I really am in you. Show me who I am. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, now we see it differently. We pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, because we come to him with humility. And we call him our Father because we come together. And then when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying it individually, today, tomorrow, every day. May your kingdom come in me and through me. And may your will be done in me and through me wherever I go. But may we do this collectively as a body of Christ. As we give, as we serve, as we encourage, as we love, as we gather together on Sundays and in our small groups, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. And sometimes people say, well, where, where is God's kingdom working out in us? There are so many stories and you will have them too. Even the other day, someone, when I went in our small group, someone was, we we're talking about the question of where do you see God's kingdom active in your life? And they said, well, you know, I have been, like God's been leading me through a forgiveness journey um, but at the moment, I really need help to forgive someone. And we said, that's God's kingdom. Just the conviction and the honesty that you want to forgive someone is the kingdom of God working in your life. The kingdom is working in your life far more than you can realise if you're surrendered to him. So let's pray together. Let's pray just before we pray this. I just want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. But just before we do, let's just pray together silently. Just close your eyes. Listen to the Spirit of God. For some of you, it may be that you need to just come and surrender to him for the very first time, to bring to him your sins and your failings and to receive his grace and his mercy and to receive his righteousness, such a precious gift, for the very first time. But for others, it may be recommitting to him. Might say, Lord, I, I really want to bring your kingdom to this world. And for all of us, it's acknowledging who we are, that we were created to rule and to reign in his image, in his likeness, bringing heaven to earth, dispelling the darkness and bringing in light. And so with that in mind, let us pray this Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just as um, Jacob and Kristen lead us in worship, you might like to stand, you might like to sit. But just spend some time surrendering to God that his kingdom would come and heaven would come to earth through you and through us as a church. 